You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 88 with Mike Fabares. Have a man that's going to be a, a guy that's going to be the right kind of husband. I mean, you don't want the 32-year-old sitting in the basement of his parents' house, right, uh, eating, you know, pizza at night, watching ESPN, playing video games, and, you know, working at fast food. That, you know, that's just not marriage material. Welcome to the Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, I am so glad you found the show. Now, if you are a returning listener, I am excited that you decided to come on back. If you haven't yet hit subscribe to the show, make sure to do that now. And it would mean the world to me if you would take a screenshot of your phone as you are listening to this episode and post it to social media. Now, you can find me on Instagram at Amber Sandberg. Feel free to tag me because I absolutely love seeing your comments and how the episodes are inspiring you. So it would mean so much to me if you would do that. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's great to be here. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker. I am a family travel specialist, and so I'm always so curious to see where people's favorite vacation destinations are. So what would you say your favorite vacation spot is? And this can be with or without kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I do a lot of traveling for my preaching and speaking. So, you know, it's fun whenever I can take my family on a preaching trip. I was supposed to go to Singapore this summer, which didn't work out. Went to uh, preach in London last year and... uh Amman, Jordan, some you know exotic and strange places where the food is a little odd. But uh, I think if our family was just going to go vacation, we love big cities. We love to vacation in Chicago and eat pizza and go to Cubs games or uh, New York City. Um, you know that that's a lot of fun for us. Sometimes we have actually taken vacations where we don't know anyone there. We just say let's just pick a big city and go there. So we've gone to Denver or Dallas and just kind of park there for a week and just done all the touristy stuff, and we love it. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I don't gravitate towards cities as much as I do coastal uh, coastal towns, but maybe because you live in California, which we'll jump into, um, you know, you have the beach very close by. So I feel like being a little bit landlocked in Nashville, I'm kind of always like, let's get to the water. Let's get right. to the water. <laughs> oh, I understand that. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of water here. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I say as long as it's got an ice machine and and a lobby, I'm I'm pretty good with that. We don't do any, <laughs> we don't rough it or we're not very rustic. So uh, we like, uh, like to have a comfortable hotel to sure. stay in. Yeah. Well, so let's get started. How about you tell a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your name, where you're from, how many kids you have, and then we'll jump into how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, my name is Mike Fabares. I'm the senior pastor of Compass Bible Church. I founded the church about 13 years ago, and uh, I've been in ministry now, uh, pastoring for about 30 years. Uh, I'm having my anniversary this week. Uh, married 32 years. I have three kids. Uh, my oldest is in seminary. He's 21. He's actually getting married this week, so oh, it's awesome. a week for us. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've got a 19-year-old, and he's in Bible school, and I have a 15-year-old daughter, 15 and a half, actually. She gets her driver's permit this week, so uh, a lot going on in my week here. I got one starting to drive, one getting married, and uh, just uh, it's been a, a great run. We love our kids. We got started a little late. We went 10 years of marriage before we had our first with some infertility issues that my wife had, but uh 
once God uh, started, uh, you know, getting just breaking through that that first one, yeah. we had two more. So that's uh, awesome. We're just thrilled to have uh, have those three. And I pastor here in Southern California. I'm from Southern California. I grew up in Long Beach. I spent my whole life there till I got shipped off to school. My dad wanted me to go to Bible school, so uh, I went off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and made my way to the University of Arizona. Did my liberal arts there and was a college pastor at a church there, and then made my way back to Southern California. I'm in Orange County in Liso Viejo, and I've been uh, pastoring in South Orange County here for uh, 30 years now. That's awesome. Uh, You know, your story resonates with me because we, too, waited to get pregnant, and then we had issues. So we started to try to get pregnant eight years into the marriage, and then we uh, didn't get pregnant until two and a half years after. So around the 10 year mark. So very similar. And um, we have two kids. So we didn't, we didn't go for the third. I really didn't know if I could do the sleep because I'm like, <laughs> if I would have started at 25, I could have probably sure. done it. And you know, right. then that's the harder part about being a little bit older. You're just kind of like, right. man, I don't know if I can get up. In the middle of the that's night. right. We feel like we should be grandparents and we're <laughs> yeah. running around with our kids. No, yeah. I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Especially around here in Nashville, a lot of people have kids younger. And so you definitely, see that they've started in their mid-20s and have had four by 30 or 31. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, I feel so old. Um, well, so- we're definitely counseling our kids, you know. Um, <laughs> but if you have, if you get married, like my son this week, yeah, uh, don't, yep. don't, don't wait too long to have yes. those kids. You yep. certainly enjoy your energy when you're younger. Yes, it does make a difference. Well, Mike, I wanted to say that you are the first dad to be on the Mom Inspired Show. Oh, wow. I feel so privileged. Yes, yes. And we are, we are about over 80 five episodes in and you are the first guy to have on the show. So yeah, I hope that you (laughs) feel um, really lucky because I thought to myself, you know, should I have a guy on? It is the mom inspired show. But let me tell you, when I saw your book that your publicist sent, it really just resonated with me. And um, I have had moms come to me and say, you know, are you going to do stuff on boys? So I have two girls. And so I've done series on raising daughters and I don't have sons. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to talk about boys, talk about sons, because I know that the moms out there need to hear this and the dads. So I'm going to air this around Father's Day. I thought this would be very appropriate. And um, so I just wanted to share that with you that um, you may be the only guy that will come on the show. I don't know, but you are the first. Well, if it goes poorly, I probably will be the only guy you have on the show. Who knows? I might start a trend for you. Yeah, I'll be like, all right, everybody, come on. (laughs) So, um, well, let's jump in. So um, I just mentioned your book. So you wrote the book, Raising Men, Not Boys. And I wanted to ask you, what made you decide to write this book? Oh, that's a good question. I actually had no plans to write this book. I've been writing various books on various topics that I think are important and urgent and addressing issues in Christianity. But I was at dinner with an administrator at a school who uh, knew my son and um, actually had met both of my sons. They went to different colleges. And he just uh, said, I really am impressed with your sons. They just seem like they've got their head on straight. And man, do we need you to put whatever you did as a parent into a book and and uh, and put it out there. And it was just interesting that he said that. He said, you've got to write a book about this. And I was just between books. I was just done with my former project. And I uh, was heading out for some things for our radio program at uh, the NRB, and um, which I think is in Nashville. Most years we have it. And um, so anyway, I was there and I just mentioned to a publisher 
I said, uh, I'm thinking I'm doing a book on on maybe raising uh, raising boys to be men, and the, the publisher just loved it. The Moody Press guy said that would be great, and uh, just one of those you know serendipitous things that just came together. And uh, so I sat down and basically took a lot of the things that I end up teaching whenever I'm teaching in our church. It's a rather large church, and we have a lot of young couples. And whenever I get invited to the young couples group, and oftentimes we get around to parenting issues. And so I had taught on this several times. But my wife and I often. Uh, kind of combo uh, uh, some teaching and training on parenting. And so we had a lot of uh, material. And I remember we went on a little trip, speaking of trips, went down to San Diego and we're staying in a hotel. And I just said, honey, just sit sit down and let's just sketch out an outline of some things that uh, we think are important about raising, um, you know, boys to be men. And it came together. And then I sat down at at, at my computer and just uh, hammered this book out and uh, just has been well received. And I'm so grateful. And certainly it's high time for I think a book on on raising boys in our society, and uh, so that one challenge at dinner as we sat over spaghetti one night, that administrator just challenged me to write it, and and so it came to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I just feel like I, I don't know. It does seem like the men have changed. Like so, the younger millennials, uh, maybe even the younger um, Gen X. It's just. I think there's a lot of Christian women saying they don't feel like the men are men, you know, that they're really just not stepping up. And I don't know if they just want to be single and play video games or they're living back at home. And, and so it's leaving a lot of Christian women, like having a hard time finding their future husbands. And so, absolutely. so in that, and that's obviously the older group, right? And then, so you're thinking about like, what are the boys or the teenagers now? What, you know, what, is their future going to look like? So I think this is, I think this is going to be really great to talk about because I think a lot of moms that have sons are concerned about this because, you know, they want their sons to have a really great life, find a Christian woman. They don't want the kids to come back to the house and just never grow up and just have Peter Pan syndrome. So um, there was, we were at a marriage conference and uh, it's called a weekend to remember. And he was saying uh, how in, Time magazine, so that's not even a Christian magazine, that so many 20-year-olds are having such a hard time uh, uh, connecting emotionally with women because the porn industry has taken over. So to the point that they're just having issues with even being in relationships. And I just, my, my jaw dropped. I was like, wow, like, that is just crazy to me. And I just think about my daughters and I know that we're not, we're not talking about porn today, but um, it's just, but it's concerning for both boys and girls because, you know, my daughters will then be going into that world with boys that, you know, maybe starting this at such a young age. So that's only one aspect of it, but you know, so even if you don't have boys, right, you have girls and you want your girls to find really great godly men. So absolutely. I think this is so important on both sides. Well, it's funny you mentioned Peter Pan because Peter Pan originally that story was written in 1911 and it was a it was a tragic story. It was about a selfish, pitiful, immature, conceited person and you know, even the exchange in the book made it seem like uh, you know, Wendy grows up, the lost boys grow up, but Peter is just a selfish you know, uh, he just, he refuses to grow up. And then all the remakes of it, 
you know, at least until recently, have made it such a uh, kind of a cheery, fun fairy tale. And, right. it, and, and you know, it's like it's good not to grow up. And yet, what does that create? I, I think this is a perfect topic for a, 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 um, a blog or a show about women wanting to raise their daughters because you do need to have men out there if they're going to fall in love and, and have a man that's going to be uh, a guy that's going to be the right kind of husband. I mean, you don't want the 32-year-old sitting in the basement of his parents' house, right, uh, eating, you know, pizza at night, watching ESPN, playing video games and, mm-hmm. you know, working at fast food that, you know, that's just not marriage material. So, I mean, what a great and important thing for us to get back to even thinking what a, what a challenge it should be for us, not only to bless our daughters, but to bless society by having boys grow up to be men who take responsibility, right. who get out on their own. They're independent. They're, they're, they're bold. They're courageous. They can do things in this world without uh, retreating back to the basement to play another video game. Exactly. Well, and that leads me into my first question about the book. So in the first chapter in your book, you talk about envisioning a man's future. So kind of like what we're talking about right now, um, but you're talking about it, you know, envisioning it every day. So one part that stood out to me was um, that you told your boys, um, or it it revolves around the boys, the subject of cleaving and leaving. So Mm. can you dive into this a little bit more? And this kind of makes me think about what you're just saying, the 32-year-old living in the parents' basement. Right. Well, I start the book with a little anecdotal uh, story. Speaking of travel, I was with my family in Seattle and we ran into multiple times, whether it was on a tour bus or just someone we were talking to about the city, how proud they were that there were more pets in the city than there were children. You know, and here we have pet motels and, and pet stores and all the, the nurseries and the, and, the, and the elementary schools were shutting down. And, and I, I thought what a tragedy it is that uh, children are seen as, a, um, as an imposition, it seems. And uh, then when people do have children, they, they kind of treat them like pets. And I think that gets them to the place of saying, I have a child so that I can be fulfilled. I have a child because I want to experience the joy of having this kid in my life. And then you get into all the jokes about, you know, they're going to be with me forever. I never want them to grow up. You know, I'm not going to let them date until they're 30. And no one had better come near my daughter. I got my shotgun. And all of this joking around, it creates this sense that our kids are all about me having them in my home for my gratification and my pleasure and my fulfillment, when in reality, the Bible is very clear, we are called to disciple our kids and to shoot them into the future like an archer would take a, uh, you know, an arrow out of his quiver and, and aim it and direct it strategically into the next generation. And so my wife and I have been very thoughtful about this around the kitchen table or the breakfast table, just making it clear that our discussions about the future are that it is good for you to grow up to move into your future, to find out what God has for you so that you can make a strategic impact on the next generation in a good and positive way. And therefore, that means you're going to move out. You probably go to school. You're probably going to find a, a spouse and get married. And those are all good things. And to start to speak practically about that, not as a negative, oh, one day you're going to leave me. Oh, it's going to be so sad. It'll be so terrible. But, you know, yeah, it will be. And we've had to go through that with our two boys. They've moved out of our home. And, you know, my mom sometimes, you know, has a misty moment thinking about her, her kids that have grown mm-hmm. up and moved on. Yeah. But still, that's what it's all about. My wife, I, I mentioned my son's getting married this week. We just had a conversation last night uh, about the fact that she said, even in that kind of nostalgic moment about her boy growing up and, and all the f- 
fun we've had together as a family. And, and she said, but this is what I prayed for. You know, I, I, I really am excited to see what God's going to do with his life. And, and she just, you know, caught herself with that sense of, you know, yeah, it's sad to see him go. And, and he's got a new gal that's, you know, the female in his life. And he's about to walk that aisle. But how great it is that he's taking his role in this world. And I thought that's, that's a theme that we've been talking about since they were, you know, wiggling around in their seat at the kitchen table. And uh, it's not a new thought for us. It's a recurring thought. And I think it's a healthy thought. Where's your kid going to be when you're dealing with issues of temper tantrums or you're talking about responsibility regarding their allowance or their chores? You need to start thinking, okay, what is this? look like 15 years from now if they don't learn to control their impulses or if they don't really learn to take responsibility or they don't realize that the world really isn't about them just having a fun, happy time every day of their lives when they really see they're there to serve and to do something good and to make an impact. And it's going to take sweat and tears to do the kinds of things that God calls them to do in this world. Those are thoughts you've got to have when they're five and when they're nine and when they're 12. And it's very helpful if you envision that future every single day. Yeah, I love that. Well, and that makes me think about your second chapter where you talk about setting his spiritual trajectory. So that's exactly what you're saying. You know, you're starting it when they're young and you want them to go a certain direction. So can you share with us a few things that stand out to you in this chapter that you feel is important for us to know? Well, I think the most important thing in all the world is God. God is our maker. He's the creator. One day when we get past this sin-saturated world, we're going to see him for all the glory that he is. And we're going to see, as it says in scripture, there are pleasures at his right hand forever. There's nothing more important than my kids getting rightly connected with the God who made them. So in my mind, uh, you know, that spiritual trajectory that we build a platform for in their youth is critical. I can't make my kids become Christians. I can't, but I can certainly set them up with a uh, kind of a a scripturally centered and a prayer-saturated home because there's nothing more important than us as sinners coming to recognize our sinful problem, throwing ourselves on the mercy and the grace of God, and having a life that really is all about recognizing the greatness of our Creator. And so I want that to be the priority. And as I write a lot of these chapters, especially that chapter, you know, I wanted to get immediately into, you know, what you should do and how you help your kids but really, it's about what Jesus said. It's hard for a, a student, you know, to rise above his teacher, you know, and every disciple, Jesus said, after he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so, a lot of these chapters really put the onus back on us to say, really, how, how zealous am I for these things that I say are important? Is it just a creed for me? Am I just checking a box to go to church? Or do I show enthusiasm about God? Am I really interested in the Bible in my own life? And do I naturally stop and pray before I get out of the car and go into some meeting that's important? My kids see that. And those are the kinds of things I think you get challenged in that second chapter to think about is that we have to own this. We have to be zealous and interested in our spiritual lives and then impart that. Because a lot of it's taught and a lot of it's caught. And we cannot... Mm -hmm you know, we cannot diminish the fact that our real passions and priorities, they're going to be observed by our kids and they're going to learn a lot by what we do. And it's going to really speak louder than what we say. I agree, you know, because... It's easy to, especially as, you know, life with kids is busy. And so you may push things off and, um, you know, you forget to do certain things, but they really are watching. I mean, just this morning, um, I, I'm working out and we have a gym in the house and, you know, my girls tend to come in and try to start copying what I'm doing. And so similar to what you're saying about your relationship with God, it's like, here's an example, right? So I could keep saying to them, 
you need to move your body, you need to work out. Well, I wouldn't tell them, you know, you need to work out, but you know, it's good to exercise, right? But them actually seeing that I'm doing it and then they can mimic it, it's actually a good thing. So, you know, you definitely want to do more of the things that you really want in your to see in your kids, you need to do yourself. So I, I, I completely agree. And I, I feel this is good to talk about because I know with families that have small kids, it's very easy to get caught up in everything and things just kind of chaotic. And then, you know, you just stop doing certain habits that you've created, if that's praying or reading your Bible and all that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> I think that's really important um, that we talked about that. Um, in chapter three, you talk about a home that builds godly men um, that you should invest in your marriage. So can you explain to us why investing in your your marriage is so important when it comes to building godly men? Well, it's interesting. I think even in this chapter, I address husbands and wives equally, and yet it seems that men really get challenged by this chapter. As I talk about, I did a seminar this weekend on on the book, and there's a lot of um, a real challenge, I think, for men to say, listen, if I'm going to set an example in my home regarding what it means to be a husband and a father, uh, you know, I've got to step up. But it's not just the men, the moms too. We have to show that kind of uh, of respect for the family unit, that really it is important that we speak well of marriage, that we deal with our our, our disagreements in a, in a respectful way, in a in a civilized way. And, and we, we learn diplomacy in marriage that shows that we love each other and, and that we're committed to one another. I mean, one of the things I hope my kids heard often, and I, I trust they did, we said it often, that, you know, mom and dad are in love and and we are committed to one another and and we're going the distance you know we are committed to this covenant of marriage and you need to sense the security in that and i think that's so important and and that's not at all to take away from the fact that uh, broken homes god can't in his grace use those to raise some great kids they certainly can but if your home is intact how important that is to recognize the primacy of marriage how significant it is and even when my kids i remember when they were little and kind of clinging to my my pant leg as we were going out on date night and i remember when my kids were young enough to understand this lecture, I would say, hey, listen, I know you don't want me to go out tonight. You don't want to be with grandma or the babysitter or whatever, but you know what? One day you're going to have a wife, and I really hope that you have this experience with my grandkids because I want your your family, your your priorities to be that you love your wife and that you, you understand that the primacy of that relationship is incredibly important. And so I think kind of building that home where it shows that mom and dad, and particularly dad, I suppose, for little boys, are committed to the marriage, committed to this relationship that is permanent. And in a sense, my relationship with my kids, the Bible says, because of leaving and cleaving, is in many ways a, a temporary relationship. Oh, sure, there'll be you know Sunday afternoon dinners or whatever, but I mean, that relationship of me discipling my kids in that hands-on way is going to come to an end after a couple decades, and, and they'll be off and you know, they'll be feeling guilty about calling me on Father's Day or whatever, but that relationship with my wife is going to endure. I mean, that is the primacy of what is like foundationally important to provide that security for my kids. And if if husbands and wife do, wives don't take that as a serious uh, kind of an intentional strategic thing that they talk about and that they model, I think you've missed out on so much of teaching your kids what it is uh, to, you know, to have a home that that gives them something to replicate. Because God is honored by strong marriages and marriages that are filled with, uh, you know, a, a kind of commitment that's going to go the distance. And in our real 
entitled, self-indulgent world that we live in. It's so important that we model sacrificial love in our marriages. And I think that's the best foundation for our kids. And I guess I should say, and I don't want to miss this, Amber, that, you know, in broken homes, and a lot of people find themselves kind of getting serious about how do I raise my kids when their home is broken, not to be discouraged. And I often remind people of this when I'm teaching on the topic that, you know, if you look through the Bible, God is showing us constantly how great he is at taking the underdog and making him successful at whatever God calls him to do. And if you feel like you're parenting with one hand tied behind your back, don't be discouraged. I mean, we can put these biblical principles to work, even in some very uh, difficult circumstances. You may be raising your your son all by yourself and thinking, man, I don't have a, uh, you know, a father role for him. I don't have that masculine presence in the home. But you know what? God, God can get this done if you are committed to really working hard, to putting every biblical principle you can to work, which is including a, a good relationship with a church and connecting, you know, in a, in a ministry in your church where, where he will see, your child will see, your son will see some good examples of what it is to be a, a masculine and manly leader in the church. And so there are ways to compensate for some of the difficulties. But if your marriage is intact, man, that third chapter is all about you making sure that you build a strong foundation. Because I know a lot of, of kids have heard the, the little lecture from mom and dad when they're getting divorced. Listen, I'm divorcing your dad or I'm divorcing your mom, but I'll always love you. And that, that, that rings hollow at some point because, it, I mean, really the most important thing for a child is that mom and dad are a, a secure and kind of a welded together uh, partnership. It creates that that sense of, uh, of it, it gives a parameter. It's like playing on a playground without a fence around it. There's mm-hmm. some anxiety in that. And, and that's what marriage will do for your kids. Hey friend, it's Amber here. Life can get so busy and things like travel can totally fall through the cracks, even though you may be dreaming of a vacation. So you may be thinking, yeah, that does happen, but how can you help me? Well, did you know that I am a travel agent? And lately I've been booking some amazing anniversary trips from San Miguel, Mexico to a Bermuda cruise as well as London. So if you have an anniversary or birthday coming up and you wanna get away with the family or even with just the hubby, I wanted to invite you to set up an appointment with me. It's completely free, both for the consultation and to use my services. So to book your time with me so that we can brainstorm some ideas and make these plans a reality, go to mominspiredshow.com forward slash contact. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. So you've been married 32 years. What would you say that you have really made important in in regards to investing in your marriage? Have you guys, do you, do you guys try to go away or is it more just date nights monthly? Like what have you found that really impacts your marriage in regards to investing into it? Well, I can't speak to this with the kind of authority I can when I'm preaching right out of a chapter and verse of the Bible. But I'll tell you, every friend I have, and even when I'm doing Q&As on the topic, I'm telling you, I think a weekly, and I mean every seven days a week, you have a date night where from the time you get home until you go to sleep, and even when our kids are little, make sure that someone puts them to bed and we're not dealing with the bedtime routine once a week, I'm investing in my marriage. And, and you don't need a lot of money for this. I mean, you can you can take a walk in the park or on the beach or wherever you're at and just spend time. You can go to McDonald's and share a Happy Meal if you had to, but get that time together where your chairs go from, from side to side. You know, it's one thing to be in a movie together, but your chairs go face to face and you're having that face time with your spouse. I mean, I may not be the most you know, a busy person in all the world, but I, I'm certainly up there in terms of a busy schedule. And I'll tell you, my wife just loved the fact that throughout our marriage for the last 32 years, she knows that that date night's going to come 
for us, it's every Wednesday night. I'm going to have that date night. All our church stuff is on Thursday night. It's kind of strange, I know, for most church models, but Wednesday <laughs> night's our date night. And so we're going to get that time. And even if my life is crazy on the weekends and I'm preaching and I've got meetings and I got counseling issues and I'm trips to the hospital and a funeral, she knows, listen, Wednesday's coming and we're going to have that time from the time he gets home until we go to bed where we're going to have that time together. And that that just that gets you through so much trouble and so much busyness and so much of a hectic schedule. And it's that respite every single week. And then when our kids came along, we said, listen, we're going to have a day where dad comes home as early as he can, and we're going to spend all that time with the kids. Uh, and, and so for us, it was Monday and we called it Monday fun day and Monday fun day, dad was going to come home and we were going to do something fun, whether it's just going to hit balls at the baseball diamond and then go get some dinner and drive through and grab some yogurt. And, you know, we're going to blow off homework that night, whatever. We were going to make it a fun Monday. And every Monday, my kids could look forward to that. And then they knew, you know. Date night was going to come along and mom and dad were going to go off. They knew they were going to have someone watching them. And those two things, even in the most busy time of my life, and, and we've been through a lot here in terms of ministry and radio and all the rest that we've been doing in our lives, I'm telling you, that has been a godsend for us. So I would say without any authority from scripture, I can't claim it's heaven's direction, but right, right. My, my strong counsel is once a week family day, at least you have some kind of, of time with your family where they know it's coming and a weekly date night that can, that can do wonders for your marriage. Yeah, no, I really like that. And especially because you picked Monday, did you not pick Saturday because you're too busy with the church stuff? Or, yeah. yeah, that's what I wondered. Yeah. I mean, yes. when I started this, we were doing five services. I would do oh, two wow. services on Saturday. Oh, so, wow. you know, Saturday <laughs> was, was prep time and, yep. and church stuff. So, you know, a pastor's life, a lot of times, you know, Monday's a, a good this day. Is their day off, yeah. yeah. Just to chill. And so I could do that. Even if I had to run to the office, I could always come home and make time for my family. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so you're saying, too, to get a sitter so that you're not putting the kids to bed on the Wednesday night date night, right? Is yep. that what you're, yeah. Yeah, and, and critical. For, Right. And and I, and I know some people will say, well, you know, I can't afford it. I mean, sitters around here are expensive, but you know, I think like switching with different families, if money's yep. tight to take turns so that then both sets of couples can go out on the off night that they're not watching the other kids. So that's right. I do think that's great. And we, we kind of, we were doing well and then you like fall off and then you're like, ah, oh, we got to get back on. So I think that's a really great idea to kind of lock in a sitter figure out the budget. If you can't do it, then get friends that are willing to, you know, trade, you know, watching the kids for you. So I think that's awesome. I'm going to go into the next one of the next chapters. It's talking about making the boys sweat every day. I thought this was interesting. Um, what was your experience with your boys? And why do you think it's so important for them to, you know, just get sweaty every day? And um, you also mentioned feeding them right. So if you can dive into the sweating part, and then the feeding, um, that would be great. Yeah, well, you know, our kids are made to uh, be active, right? And especially little boys. And, um, you know, even between my two boys, I got one boy, he needs twice as much activity as the other boy. But I'm just telling you, you know, we've become a society where we're sitting people down, putting a screen in front of them. They, they, they're so sedentary and it's just not the way God designed us. And, and, you know, natural theology, I like to always defer to natural theology in some ways, because even if it's not in the pages of the Bible, there are certain things that we learn just about the way we're made and things we see in this world. And a little boy's body that's fidgeting and can hardly sit still. And, you know, I remember saying to my boy, I'll give you five bucks if you can keep your butt in the chair for the entire meal. And, and I, you know, they, they just have so 
much energy and they don't walk from point A to point B. They bounce and run and, and bounce off the walls. And you know, that's the way God designed them. And for me to sit there and try and create my world the way that our culture has, which is we move from one screen to another screen to then getting uh, game consoles. And, you know, and I'm not opposed to that. I mean, there was a, there was a little chunk of our lives where we, we allowed that as a, as a very measured part of their life, but they need to run, they need to sweat. And then all the fear because of our, you know, our very transparent, uh, you know, news society, we hear of every single bad thing that happens to a kid. And so, you know, we have a whole generation of people saying, I can't let my kid go to the park. He better be within 50 feet of me. And, you know, in our childhood, or at least mine, I mean, all, all Saturday, we were out there, you know, running around and riding our bikes and at the park. And we'd go from one activity to the next. And our bodies, every single Saturday, at least, and if not after school, when I remember running home and biking home from school, we, we had that activity. And that's so healthy. Sometimes you wonder why your kids are so quick to explode with this kind of, uh, of frustration or, or their, their outbursts or they can't control their impulses. Sometimes because they never, they never sweat enough. And I think food is also a helpful part of that. I mean, obviously, you know, you can go overboard in this department, but I think a, a decent, healthy diet, my wife was so good about this. You got to eat something green at every meal. And, you know, let's make sure at least we're putting the stuff in your body that's not going to, you know, ramp you up real quick and crash you in the next hour. Now, we had limited uh, access to candy. We weren't afraid of those kinds of things. But, I mean, the staples of our kids' meals, we want to know that we want to recognize that there's a, a correlation between what they're eating and their moods and how they feel. And so we want to set them up as best we can. And just in the physiological nature of children, I mean, they need good fuel and then they need a place to burn that fuel off. And that's the best way I think you're going to help your kids with the emotional aspects of their life and even their learning and their attention span. And so those things are important. Now, I know there's lots of you know physiological things that are broken in this world. And a lot of people, and a lot of kids have serious issues and problems, but I'm talking about the average kid, uh, so much of the emotional issues of his life can be helped, if not solved, by eating a decent diet and then getting out there and moving around and sweating every day. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like a lot of the moms that are stay-at-home moms and they have boys and they're just running circles around them, do you have any recommendations for those moms that just feel exhausted, but their boys just have so much energy. Uh, you no. made, I'm going to go back a point and then I'll have you finish that. You mentioned something about how, um, this generation really doesn't kind of let their kids like go off. And I was just saying this to a friend that when I was younger, we could just ride everywhere, you know? And so, yep. you know, and I do feel like things have changed. And so what do you feel like is healthy between <laughs> letting kids just kind of like, you know, a lot of people would say, Oh, we couldn't come back until, you know, it was dark out, you know, and come right. back for dinner. And I mean, it's like, see you later. Um, I didn't have that. That that wasn't my personal experience. But um, where now it's kind of like helicopter parent, right? And it's like, right. you have to be on top of them for everything. What is What do you feel like the balance is for that? So well, that we're getting, you know, outside and running around. Let me risk offending everyone sure, and saying uh, the, the moms have to, and if you have an intact home, you can't win every argument between you and your husband regarding what you're going to allow your kids to do. I think it's very important. And God gave us uh, complementarian roles between husbands and wives. And if every time a wife gets to say, I'm going to veto that because it's too scary, too dangerous. He's going to be out too long. He might get hurt. I'm just saying, uh, let's just at least make it a 50-50. Let's make sure that 
each couple loses half of the time. And that means that usually in the average marriage, uh, that means that uh, kids are going to be allowed to do more things than they would if we just defer to, well, whichever parent thinks we shouldn't do this, I guess we shouldn't do this. So uh, in other words, for moms, and I know this is a mom's podcast. I mean, let's just say, let's try and lose a few more of those arguments. And when dad says, you know what, I, I think <laughs> they can get the skateboard. Or I think they should get the bike. And I think we should let them go to the park and hit balls. I mean, I think you'd at least need to say, maybe my husband should win this debate and maybe we should let him do this. And you know what? And if you're just trying to keep him from the ER, uh, I, 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 just forget that fantasy. I, I think every boy is going to break a bone or two <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And, and I, I think you need to get over the fact that your job is to, to put him in a cocoon and in bubble wrap and hope that he never gets hurt or she never gets hurt. There's going to have to be some risk. They're going to climb a tree. They're going to fall out. They're going to get a bike. They're going to fall off. They're going to get a skateboard. They're going to skin their knees. They might break their wrist. Things like that are going to happen. I'm not in, you know, I'm not, I don't want to create evil Knievel. There's a dated analogy, but I don't want to create a a daredevil, right? But I I do want to know that I cannot avoid every potential hazard. And therefore, I think it's a great rule of thumb to say husbands and wives make the decision together. And uh, wives, you can't always win because wives generally are the ones when Junior falls off his bike, kissing the boo-boo, oh, come here, let me hold you, oh, that terrible bike, I never should have got anyway. Dad's going to, you know, say nothing, no blood, great, you know, pat him on the popo, say, get up, get on that bike and try it again. You know, that that's kind of the balance between husbands and wives. And because wives usually are the ones that are the primary parent throughout the day, if dad's off to work, I mean, I understand how you create more of a cocooned experience for your kids. But when dad comes home and, and, and dad's ready to say, let's let him do that. Let's let her go there. I think moms need to be a little more deferential and say, there's probably some wisdom in that. Yeah, no, I think that's good to hear a perspective of a dad, because I do agree. I do think that the moms are more, you know, cautious and stuff like that. But I do think that's where it balances out to have, you know, a husband and wife and, you know, a mother and father, just kind of like, I noticed my um, four-year-old, she'll kind of like, in a gentle way, she'll punch my husband. Like she'll kind of go up to him and just be like, you know, punch him in yep. the leg or she doesn't do that to me. So um, I, I find that very cute because she has a different dynamic with him and she's very, very girly. So it's very interesting. She's in a very girly nightgown, p- giving him a little punch. And so, and she comes up to me and hugs me. And so I feel like it's good even for our, my girls, right? They do more roughhousing with my husband and stuff like that. You know, generally I'm not doing that. Um, so I do, I do think that there is wisdom in what you said. So um, I hope that it really encourages moms to let up a little bit and kind of let the dads win on those situations. And um, it made me think of a situation of a friend of mine, um, they were like hesitate, I think hesitating on a trampoline and I think the husband won. And then, um, not long after that, one of their children's, you know, broke their, um, I don't know what body part, but something got broken. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it it made me think of what you're saying about that. Most likely, you know, they're going to break something and you can't just prevent it. So, um, I have a couple more questions before we end, um, in chapter, I think it's six, you write about instilling a manly work ethic. And so I would love to know what that looks like to you. 
Well, I do think that chores, you know, which are generally a part of what we expect to give our kids, need to be given to them with a sense of, uh, you know, this is just a great part of our lives is to serve the family. It's not about serving you. It's more than just making your own bed so you can come into a bed that's made. It's about cleaning the house or taking out the trash that we all are pitching in for the common good. And this is a great thing because this is what you're going to go out to do in society. You're going to go out and make this world a little bit better place. You're going to utilize your gifts, your skills to do something positive in this world, and it needs to start at home. And and I often say when you're talking about your kids and their work ethic, uh, nothing's worse than trying to give them a positive view of what it is to serve in their chores or whatever it is that you might make them do around the house or weed the yard. If every day you come home from work, uh, dads especially, and sit at the kitchen table, and all you do is complain about your work. I mean, we need to have a more positive view of our work. Uh, We don't need to be workaholics. I understand it can be overdone, but I do think we need to realize that work was a gift from God that he gave before the fall. After the fall in Genesis 3, he said, there's going to be thorns in the field and there's going to be sweat from your brow and it's going to be hard. It would have been easier if there was no sin in the world. It's hard now because our Jobs aren't perfect and it's filled with imperfect people and there are all kinds of issues we've got to solve. But when dad comes home, there needs to be some at least uh, restraint on all the complaining that we naturally want to do. And moms can help with this. If a mom is a stay-at-home mom, you know, moms love the dirt and the drama at the office and often ask. They often lead with that, you know, so what's going on with someone so at work? And, you know, it turns into a negative conversation that the kids are listening to. And then we wonder if they complain about taking out the trash. You know, we say, oh, you shouldn't complain about that. Well, they've heard us complain about work. And And so I think to have a more healthy and positive attitude toward industrious work in our own lives will certainly help our our kids uh, recognize that work is a good thing because it serves people. Jesus said, you know, who's greater, the one who's sitting at the table and being served, uh, you know, or the one that's serving? And, 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 you know, it's an obvious answer. Well, I just want to be the one that's served. He says, and yet I'm the one among you who's serving. And see, I think that we need to recognize that great principle that was quoted in the book of Acts, and that is that it is really, there's something more blessed, more fulfilling, uh, more gratifying to give than to receive. And we need to somehow teach our kids that by the attitude we give toward work in our homes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really great for parents to realize that Again, the kids are listening to what you're saying. So, you know, if you're coming home and you're complaining all the time that they're picking up on that and then they could be translating that to, oh, you know, work stinks and I don't want to work. And and even though that's might not even be what they're what the parents are saying, they, they may just be frustrated with a person or something like that. But to be very careful about what you're saying in front of the kids. Um, sure. Think about this too, Amber, if I can interrupt. If you think about how often our culture is going to tell our kids, you know, we're working for the weekend, right? That's Mm, what we do. That is, we work so that we can get to the place where we can rest. And we have a career, so we can't wait till we get, you know, retired and can hang out and just do nothing. You know, it's just the opposite in the Bible. We rest so we can recreate and get refreshed so we can get back to work, productive work. Work is a good thing. You know, honest work is a good thing. So to help teach our kids, yeah, we're going to go on vacation, but vacation is great because it gives us new experiences. It gives us a recharge. It reorients us. It recalibrates us so we can go back and re-engage in our daily life. So we can go to school and we can attack our studies and and do a good job. So breaks are, are, we love breaks and we love vacations, but we want to see them as a time, not just we're just living so we can get to the next vacation. No, we go on vacation and we have a great time so that we can get back to the daily life and do our work well. And we can come back refreshed and fueled up and charged up to work. And I think that perspective alone can help our kids 
kids recognize, you know what, work's a good thing. Going back to school on Monday is a good thing. We just need to have a great weekend so we can recharge and do that work well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Well, Mike, we're almost at the end of the show, and I wanted to talk to you about teenage boys. So a couple things. Teenage boys when it comes to dating, and then also, I know you talked about this in the book, uh, the dynamics between the mom and the son and then the dad and the son. So can you just share a little bit more about that? I don't know if you talked about dating, but I just wanted to throw that in there. So Yeah, well, you know, we have a world that's uh, very sexualized, of course, and, uh, you know, even if it weren't, their hormones are going to kick in at a certain point, and they're going to have an interest, even if it's just looking at the cleavage on the magazine at the checkout stand at the grocery store. So there's no getting around the fact that they're going to take an interest in the opposite sex and it's going to be a part of the chemistry in their blood. And so I think we need to prepare them for this and start to talk about, uh, you know, sex in its proper context, romance in its proper context. And, and speaking of marriage and sex and those kinds of things in a way that puts it in its proper context. And I think a good marriage modeled for them can can be a, a great, you know, education leading up to that period in their own lives. And as I said, from the very beginning of the podcast, you know, envisioning their future every day and even talking about the fact that, hey, you'll probably be married and we look forward to your, you know, getting to know your future spouse and we're praying for them. And I mean, those are the kinds of things that give them this positive view of what they're going to have this, you know, this chemical hurricane in their body, you know, when they're 13, 14 years old. So we're getting them ready in a world that's so over-sexualized by putting this in the proper context. And they can't walk through the mall. I mean, you can homeschool them, you can put them in a bubble all you want, but, you know, you can't drive down the freeway without seeing, you know, signs for the gentleman's club or, you know, uh, you know, Victoria's Secret in the mall, whatever. You're not going to get around that kind of, of in-your-face uh, sexualized culture. And I'm thinking you've got to talk about this long before you want to. And unfortunately, I run into a lot of parents, especially Christian parents, that they just they don't want to talk about their about this topic with their kids. They just avoid it. I mean, I've done premarital counseling with people, and they've said my parents have never talked to me wow. uh, about sex <laughs> at all. I mean, that's just yeah. shocking to me. Yeah, that is shocking. So, it's a very uncomfortable conversation, but it's an important one. And for boys in the book, I talk a lot about, you know, boys learning to respect women in a way that sees them in the biblical context of being a special creation by God, to treat them with courtesy, to show even the old word chivalry, you know, to open doors, to help people carry things, the kinds of things that let us recognize that, you know, we want to be gentlemen and, and we really do want to show the kind of gallantry, dare I use that word, that that shows our our respect uh, for women in this world. And so that helps them realize they're not just, uh, you know, some kind of plaything to satisfy some sexual urge you're going to have when you're 14. Uh, they're very special people that should be thought about as, uh, you know, someone's, uh, you know, as a group of people, a segment of society that we want to treat with great respect. And so, you know, all of that, you know, we got to go a lot further. And I try to in the book, even though it's a short chapter, you know, given all that you could say about the topic, to try and get them ready to understand what it is to get into, uh, you know, a dating relationship, which I don't think, again, should be put off as though I'm not going to let my kid date till they're, you know, through school and have a, a nest egg and can buy a house. I mean, we want them to be chased, right? We want them to obey the biblical rules of, of sexual ethics, and yet we don't want them to be married till they're 30. That's a really tough, you know, combination of things we're setting our kids up for, particularly boys. So uh, we want to talk positively about these things and talk through some of these issues and know that sex is a powerful drive. It's a very important part of life, but just like a fire, you wouldn't light it, you know, just in the hallway of your house. There's a, there's a fireplace for that and that's where it belongs. And it's a great thing and it's a wonderful blessing, but you got to put it in its proper context. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Cause I do feel like people just think, okay, we'll just, 
you know, hope for the best and, you know, that they will get married, you know, when they're, you know, in their late 20s and stuff like that. Kind of what you were saying about 30s and stuff like that. So um, is there any recommendation that you have for dating when they do you want to start dating in high school? Did you have any rules that might be good for, you know, for the listeners to hear, especially from a pastor? Well, my number one rule with my kids, even though a lot of the Christian culture tried to ignore dating and sweep it under the carpet and say, oh, we don't, you know, we don't want to encourage that because they'll end up in the backseat of a car and, you know, they'll get the, just all that nonsense. And unfortunately, sometimes people are projecting their own failures from their teenage years into the next generation. And I'm just saying, listen, there's a way to raise your kids uh, with the right parameters. Uh, but the number one rule I had was, listen, nothing is is under the radar. In other words, there's a lot going on in the average youth group in a church where, you know, Susie's into John and they're kind of dating, but no one knows about it. And, you know, only people with the right Instagram account know who loves who and all that. And I'm just saying everything in my kid's life, as I said, has to be out in the open. You start liking a girl, that's fine, but let's talk about it. Let's make sure there's no secrets. Uh, you know, if if there is, is an attraction and you start pairing up, I just want to make sure that's out in the open. And that was, and I was so grateful that when my kids started dating, uh, you know, the dads in the youth group were willing to sit down with my son. I think of my my second born in a very you know serious meeting to say, okay, yeah, you know, you don't want to go to get ice cream with my daughter. Uh, we're going to have a half an hour meeting, a forty five minute meeting at Starbucks, and talk this through. And mm. and those were great. I so encouraged that, and I was excited. And even my oldest son, who's getting married, you know, to to have that dating relationship with a kind of a, a kind of a transparent thing. I mean, all yeah. of your dating, I just said, listen, I want it to be in public. And as a pastor of a fairly large church in Southern California, it was funny. I would get texts and pictures when my son would be out to dinner and say, hey, I saw your son with oh, his girl, at, you know, at the <laughs> at the steakhouse or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing I remind my kid, that's what you want. You want to be out in the open. You want to date in public places. You want to, you know, avoid all the context that would get you in trouble uh, sexually. But I don't want secret stuff. I don't want secret relations. Just be honest. And I know that's hard because a lot of parents don't want to talk about their kids even being, you know, sexually interested in someone or being romantically drawn to someone. But you need to set them up before they have those feelings to say, I don't need to know every detail. And I know it's embarrassing for kids to talk about their innermost thoughts. But, you know, when it's coming around to, I can't wait to see Susie at youth group this week. I just want to know. And when it gets down to, hey, it's okay for a social engagement here to go out and get to know what it is to relate to a person of the opposite sex. I just want to make sure it's something that her dad knows about, I know about, that we give our blessing to, and that, you know, you do without any secrecy, because it's the secrecy that gets everyone into trouble. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's a great point. Um, as we end, you you do mention the dynamics between a mom and a son and that dad and the son. Can we just finish on that note and any thoughts with that, especially um, when you have teenage sons, you know, and the dynamic with the relationship between a mom and a son, especially? Yeah. Well, it gets tough. You know, it really gets hard when when young men are are wanting an independence and they see their mom as a mommy and they really start putting a, a, a you know a stiff arm out there and pushing mom back. It's one of the really I think the most difficult times for a mom when her son you know gets to be fifteen, sixteen years old and uh, doesn't really want to open up. And I think that's the kind of um, that's the kind of time when dad needs to be 
very involved because I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing. It's just a transition. Right. Yeah. You know, a son will come back, you know, to really respect his mom. And usually it's after college or somewhere in the middle of college where, you know, you would create a little bit more of that open interaction and intimacy and the son sharing his heart. But that stops in, in many ways. And I think it's because the, the boy does not want to be seen as a mama's boy. And he'd much rather associate his thoughts and feelings and, and relay them to dad. And I think dad needs to be available for that. So I would just say some of those difficult years, I think maybe 15, 16, 17, I'd say moms just hang in there. There'll be a few tearful nights when you try to get your son to talk and he doesn't want to talk and he doesn't want to tell you what he's thinking. Uh, but you know, if dad can step up during those years, I, I can just tell you, you know, your son will be back. Uh, you know, he'll never be your nine-year-old again, but he certainly will be back to a place where he doesn't feel like he's pushing you out of his life all the time. Uh, and you know, our sons did that, but it wasn't disrespectful. And certainly I always reminded my kids, listen, she's not just your mom. She's my wife. And I remember telling my kids at points, mm. listen, what did you think I'd do to a guy here in, in the Costco parking lot if he talked to my wife the way you just talked to my, mm. my wife? You know, yeah, I want I them it. to know this is my wife. It's not just your mom. And so some of that, we it, we don't allow it to be, you know, disrespectful or in any way uh, aggressive or angry. But when my son doesn't really want to bear his heart to mom as a 16-year-old, um, I understand it. And I know he's trying to find his place in the world and trying to grow up and be a man. And uh, I think sometimes it's the man-to-man talk, uh, you know, around a golf with your kid or, a you know, a trip to go do some kind of hobby with your son where, you know, he'll start talking again. And I think the real key is getting your chairs side by side, you know, face-to-face is great for the intimacy of a husband and wife, but sometimes your boys aren't going to open up until you get your chair side by side. You're sitting Mm -hmm. at an Angels game or you're at the Dodger Stadium and you can just sit there and say, you know, what about Amber? You know, that that you seem to be interested in, you know, that's when things open up. So dads step in in those years, moms, you know, grab Kleenex, but it'll give it'll be over. (laughs) No, I think that's really great advice because I think even the moms that have younger boys to kind of know that this will be coming to prepare yourself so that you're not taking it personal and that, you know, to have the dads kind of just step in during those years and, and trusting that the boys will come back. So no, I think all of this has been really great. Um, Mike, so as we wrap up, where can people find your book and where they can, where can they find you on social media and um, your website? Yeah, well, social media, you can just look for Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike on Twitter, uh, Pastor Mike on Facebook, all of those will get you to me. Uh, but the book itself is everywhere you'd buy a book, right? It's on Amazon, christianbook.com, Barnes & Noble. It's out there. It's digitized. And not only that, I love the fact that it's out on audiobook. I wasn't sure it was yes, going uh, awesome. to do that. But it's great. It's on Audible. It's on you know Christian Audio. So you can download it. And especially for dads who I really think uh, should be encouraged to read it, you mm-hmm. can just listen to it while you're working out or while you're commuting and, and uh, you know, kind of take it in that way. If you want to go and read a little bit about it, I think it's still available where you can download a few chapters for free. You can go to RaisingMenNotBoys.com. RaisingMenNotBoys.com. That's the title of the book. No spaces, no dashes, no dots. RaisingMenNotBoys.com. Uh, and that'll give you, I think, the first few chapters or at least the first couple chapters that you can download and you can read a few uh, endorsements. So, you know, I'm not a heretic or a crazy person <laughs> and uh, some respectful people that'll say, hey, it's a good book. Uh, Josh McDowell wrote the foreword for it. So I know most people know his name and he's written some great things about talking to your kids about sex. And and I, I've referenced some of his works in that chapter on having kind of the sex talk and dating talk with your kids. But uh, yeah, go to go there and go anywhere you'd buy the book and uh, anywhere you'd buy any book and, and you should be able to find it. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Amber, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad to be the first guy to be on your program. Yes, I know you're special. You really are. (laughs) I feel special today. 
Hey, you guys, would you like to have every podcast episode in your inbox on Tuesday? That way you don't have to go search for it or have to remember that, hey, a new Mom Inspired Show has aired today. You can have that. All you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com and subscribe. If you're looking at it on your phone, just scroll to the bottom, enter your name and your email. If you're looking at it on your computer, it's going to be on the right-hand side. That way you won't miss an episode. And I'm also going to start including travel tips every week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. 